Hello, I'm here today with Shirley Gaston from Azesta. Hi, Shirley. How are you? Hi, John. I'm fine, thank you. Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. So, um, yeah, so we are recording this in early January, which is the big day. And um, you, you were one of the very first people ever on this podcast. I think the third ever guest we had. So it's four or five years ago. So welcome back. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> and um, I was obviously one of your favourites, and that's why you've chosen to speak to me again on your birthday. Well, I did actually re-release your podcast as well at, at some point in the middle when I when I ran out one summer because I was on the beach, and uh, so you had a second wind as well, and we got some good feedback as well. So the last podcast you did was very well received, and that was all about how to kind of keep energy in the room when we're doing training. Mm-hmm. But now, of course, we're mainly going online a lot of the, the the sessions that we're doing are now online. So you wanted to talk about how we can bring that, that same experiential thinking to the online training world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just everything that people can do really to make virtual learning more experiential and more engaging. Because I've been working really hard on that ever since March. So um, had about nine months to think about that and test things out now. Well, last time we spoke, you had three things. How many things have you got now? Well, I've got six things, but some of them are very quick and uh, less interesting. And some of them, you know, I could talk about for hours. So shall I tell you what the six things are? Yeah, tell, tell me what the six are and indicate which are boring and which are, are, are more interesting. Okay, so... Obviously, uh, number one, it is crucial to make the most of um, whatever platform you're using, whether that's Zoom or Teams or the star of stars when it comes to virtual learning, Adobe Connect. That's my number one. I think that's fairly boring because I'm not very technological and lots of people probably know what they're doing there even more than I do. Number two is about a bit similar, really. Uh, making use of virtual collaboration tools um, like Padlet and Jamboard and Mural and things like that. That's similar to the first one in that I think other people know more, but I am using them a fair bit and I've got a few ideas. Number three is probably the one that I know most about, actual experiential exercises uh, that you can do online. Number four, Lego and Lego Serious Play. Quite interesting. Number four, Five, using the postal service, I think pretty interesting. And number six, getting people up and moving and away from their screens. Semi-interesting. That's semi-interesting. Okay, so we've got two boring ones, two semi-interesting ones and two really interesting ones. So in order to encourage people to actually stay to the end, we're going to put at least one of these really interesting ones at the end, I suggest. Good idea, yeah. Should we put postal service last? Yeah, sure. And to get people excited and going, should we go with the other one that you said that thought was really interesting, which was around experiential exercises? Yeah. Let's, let's do that one first and we'll stick postal service at the end. Okay, sure. So tell us about this experiential activities. Yes. Well, I have also, um, which would be useful to some people listening, brought out an article about this. Um, in PDF format that we can send to people if they're interested um, and they want more details. But basically, I have been looking out for all the different companies releasing experiential exercises virtually. And I've been testing them out and demoing them and playing them with lots of other trainers and then also with clients. So I'd like to tell you about a few of those, John. Well, please go ahead. (laughs) I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to start with, really. But um, it's quite interesting because people that know me probably know that for a lot of years, I've worked with a German company, Metalog, and we're the only UK resellers of their tools. So that was sort of the first place I went to look in my cupboard and go, are there any of these tools that I can use online? And I did manage to sort of in an amateur way, uh, convert some of those exercises. So eCopoly, for example, I turned that into a virtual game and collaboration puzzle. I started using that where I would set up um, a tripod with my phone on to have a second camera um, on the Zoom call. And I would get different participants in breakout rooms to tell me, you know, which rods they wanted to take in and out of the exercise. Um, I was quite disappointed, though, that Metalog themselves didn't actually come out um, and set up a platform or give a virtual offering. So with those things that I was looking at first, it was much more a case of 
getting things out of the cupboard and working out how you might be able to sort of do it online. But then as time went on, other companies did start to actually put things online and bring out platforms. So, for example, RSVP um, Learning in the UK, the first thing that they put on their platform was colorblind and in the early stages of the pandemic, we had a situation where you could do colorblind online, but it was quite a hassle because for those of you that know the exercise, everybody's, all the different participants have got plastic shapes and they've got to work out which shapes are missing from the set. So it was quite a hassle to start with because you kind of had to send people links to look at their shapes at various places on the web. But then later on, RSVP developed quite a swish platform that does all the allocation of the pieces automatically and that works really quite smoothly so the experience of doing colorblind which is a communication activity online I think is almost as good as doing it live and face-to-face it definitely works just as well but it's the one thing you're missing out is just the tactile factor you know of having those shapes in your hands And having a blindfold on. There's no need for a blindfold online because you can just switch your cameras off. So that's that's colorblind that you're recommending as as being pretty good online resource. And and you said all of these you've put into a, a document. Yeah, into a PDF document. And on there, I've kind of made it really simple, you know, and said sort of what the pros and cons of each game are, what the uh, best things best things to use it for are what the best numbers of participants are things like that but RSVP as well as colorblind have also got another exercise uh, on that virtual platform now called symbols which is another communication exercise where participants all have cards with different symbols on and they have to work out whereabouts they go in a in a certain grid and that is a really good exercise as well and it can either work in one group or with three groups that have got different sections of the board who then come together so it's really good for looking at cross team working and things like that both of those exercises are excellent and i'm sure they'll bring some more um onto that platform soon okay and that's the rsvp platform you said yeah yeah and then another English company, MTA, based in Weatherby, who loads of people listening will know for their big plastic tubes and connectors and things that we're normally using in the classroom. They have also got a small platform and they've put one exercise on there, an exercise which uh, people used to use quite a lot in the in the classroom called the culprit. And that's a game where teams are trying to solve a murder mystery. And at the same time, they're trying to work out whether their fellow team members are committed detectives or whether they are infiltrators. Wow. Um, And that's quite fun as well. That sounds familiar. (laughs) Did you do a webinar on that quite recently? Yes. I've done, well, I've done little trials and demos and webinars of all of these things um, over the past few months. I think you invited me to that one. Although I didn't, I didn't actually turn up, I'm afraid. But uh... Well, the good thing about how the platforms have moved on is that if people don't turn up or extra people turn up, it's okay, you know, and pretty quickly you can get everybody sort of sorted um, with these games and exercises now. Whereas early on, you know, when it was all about sort of emailing people links to different websites to see different cards and things in advance, it used to be a real nightmare if someone was off sick or something so I'm really glad that they've got better and it didn't matter to me John that you weren't there (laughs) I don't know how to take that actually obviously I missed you but it it didn't affect the exercise that's what I mean okay that's a nicer way of putting it yeah so um they're really good and then there's also um another company who are based in where are they based? That's a good question. Dubai, that's where they're based. Based in Dubai with some Portuguese people that started it. And that one is called Gaminar. Or if you watch the sort of advertising video that's got an American on it, Gaminar, which I'm not as keen on. <laughs> I mean, Gaminar makes more sense, doesn't it? Considering it's online games. Exactly. I'm going to call it Gaminar, whether that's the right way to pronounce it or not. I so... suppose it is written Gaminar to be fair. Yeah, yeah. So probably because of the Metalog connection, they asked me to be the UK account manager for 
gaming art so I'm quite keen on gaming art and the thing that I'm quite keen on about it is the fact that it's a pay-per-play model so if you want to do if you want to play games uh, online with clients and things you only pay you know when people actually take part and I like that because you've got to be quite committed to some of these online platforms in that the three that I've already spoken about so far all those games are kind of on an annual license basis so you're paying sort of 150 to 180 pounds per 12 months to have access to a particular game um, which I've been happy to pay because I use them all loads but for some people that are using it less, they might be keener on a pay-per-play uh, model. And on pay-per-play models, the most um, that it is per person is about £2.40. Right. So, so that's why I quite like gaming art. And that's got lots of things on it. It's got Pick Story, which is a game like Reality Check, if you know that from Metalog. Or it's like Zoom which is basically a set of pictures and people need to put the pictures in the right order. So that's kind of a classic communication game that's been around for ages, but you can do that quite slickly. And on Gaminar, there's a couple of those pick stories. Yeah, that's the one I played. Yeah. Yeah. So you could tell everyone about that then, John. What's it like? It, it's a group of pictures that you have to put in order, as, as you brilliantly explained. It, each person gets a picture and you have to communicate between you to describe your picture to work out which one's the most zoomed in the closest look and which one's the most zoomed out and obviously put them put them in order um, but yeah. without obviously being able to see each other's pictures so it's all about that first of all establishing a kind of a process for how you're going to get to get there and then subsequently the communication skills around describing the pictures and working out which factors are actually important and not important which aren't that clear at, at, at the beginning but as the discussion evolves you kind of realize that actually being able to see a border here or being able to see you know a, a building there is actually quite a vital piece of info mm. so i enjoyed it i thought it was good they, I, what i quite liked about that was it was quite short actually it was only about i don't know maybe 12 minutes perhaps yeah that's what i was going to say was the advantage of that one that you know if you've only got 90 minutes or two hours to deliver you know I don't know, a team development session on Zoom or something. You don't really want to be spending, you know, an hour doing and reviewing an exercise. So it's really good that it's quite quick. It does depend on the number of people playing it. So, you know, there probably weren't that many on the game that you played if it took it was 12 eight. Yeah. Oh, well, that was really quick for eight, to be honest. So I'd say eight would typically... We were quite an elite group, Shelley. So <laughs> I would say that that would typically take about 15 minutes um 15 to 20 minutes with eight people right and it goes for up to 20 and i think beyond about 12 it starts to get to the point where perhaps the frustration of trying to solve the task starts to outweigh the fun factor so i'd say stick to 12 and under if you're using that the good thing as well about this particular platform is you can have multiple teams playing at once so you can be uh, facilitating i don't think i dare do this but up to 999 people at once <laughs> wow <laughs> <laughs> um but i haven't tried that <laughs> what's the most what's the most you managed to facilitate the most i've tried doing is three teams simultaneously right okay and I've been re reasonably happy with that because as the facilitator, it means if you want to see what people are actually doing, you've got to flick between, you know, the different breakout rooms. But you have like your own facilitator screen where you can see where each group is up to, you know, which pictures they've placed so far and it shows you a leaderboard and things. So you, you can kind of feel like you're semi in control of multiple groups. I, and also used, on that um... gaming app. I was going to say maybe the same thing because on the gaming R thing, because I got I played one of those with the team I'm in before Christmas, which was about an escape room, oh, with a yeah. sort of an Egyptian theme. Yeah. And and I found I well as you were saying about sort of that point about frustration, I actually kind of found myself getting a little bit frustrated with it toward the end because yeah. I, I it doesn't kind of I don't know my way of thinking perhaps just didn't fit with all the puzzles, but actually as a the, a group thing it really worked we had a really good time so we kind of yeah. even, even though i was getting a bit frustrated with the game i was actually really still enjoying the interaction 
uh, and, and I think yeah. the rest of the team were too. And I mean, in terms of escape rooms, I don't know, for me, mixed feelings. Like I've really enjoyed doing them myself with my own team. I think that as a facilitator, I'd be more inclined to do those in the lead up to Christmas as a bit of fun and things and less inclined to sort of incorporate them in a learning event just because I feel like it's potentially not focused enough in that you might spend an hour on the escape room, you know, solving all sorts of different puzzles. And then to really review that and draw the learning out properly, you know, you're looking at another sort of half an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah, I think that's a a good comment. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of prefer from a learning perspective to have lots and short, lots of short and snappy things that are focused, you know, towards a particular objective, I think. But if you just wanted to talk generally, I suppose, about a team's sort of linguistic, mathematical and spatial skills, then an escape room is quite good. I was going to ask you, what, what kind of learning objectives lend themselves best to this kind of activity? Definitely, unsurprisingly, communication skills, you know, and looking at how a team communicates, how a team organise themselves, how a team communicate effectively, especially in a virtual space. Also, things like symbols are really good for looking at cross-team working, you know, and the dangers of silos in organisations, things like that. So good for sort of general team development and leadership development, the things that I've talked about so far. And of the things I've talked about so far, probably an escape game is leaning more towards the fun side of things, you know, and the others have got a bit more, I think, learning in there. But maybe that's just because of what I'm used to, because I never do an escape room as part of a face-to-face course. Well, maybe, but uh, have it, I've done two of those games with you. One was the one we just described, the zooming in and out thing, and the other one was fitting different coloured, or not coloured, different symbols in a sort of a grid thing, which I found much more difficult. Yeah. But what was uh, what was interesting around that, there was a lot around what process are we going to use? And I found that, that the discussions and the thinking around that and, and had you debriefed that and how, were we actually a proper team? I think that would have been a really useful use of kind of 20 minutes, half an hour. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. I found that the, the escape rooms, although fun, and as you said, a pre-Christmas bit of bit of a laugh, but that was about it. There, there was less to to glean from that from a learning perspective. The other things that are on there at the moment, there's some free activities which are just sets of picture cards. You know that you can use as part of a virtual course if you wanted to just ask any question. You know, what does coaching mean to you? Um, how have you? enjoyed the last month at work you know anything there are free sets of picture cards on there that you can use for that which are quite good and the other thing that's on there is the good old because they've been around for a very long time lost at sea activity lost in the desert activity etc oh where you have to discuss what items you're going to prioritize yeah, where you individually rank items and then you get together as a group and try and come up with a shared list. Now, years and years and years ago, like 20 years ago, I used to use these a little bit in the classroom and it was a total pain in the neck because you used to spend loads of time like adding up and scoring the exercise so that you could basically make a point about synergy, you know, the fact that the team is going to do better than probably all the individuals within it. So I have actually resurrected a little bit of Lost at Sea and Lost in the Desert on some of my team development courses now because when it's so slick and easy, you know, and you're like dragging and dropping the objects and it's all calculating it for you, the points and everything, I'm finding it quite a fun thing to do again. So it's like, it's like back 20 years. (laughs) That's an interesting point though. Yeah, because it, it, it would be a bit of a chore otherwise if you're having to just touch up all the numbers. But yeah, if it all just pops out, you're right, it kind of reopens that door, doesn't it? Mm, so I think giving, our, giving those kind of exercises a new lease of life <laughs> for the modern world. <laughs> and if people want to get in touch with you to get this PDF that you've discussed, can they email you? Yeah, yeah, that'll be fine. It's just Shirley at azesta.co.uk and I can send them a copy or they could just go um, on my website because it is a free downloadable resource on the resources page. So And that's azesta.co.uk. Yeah, and then forward slash resources for that particular page. 
So, yeah, and then also on the platform side of things, I have had a look at another sort of simulation called Diamonds of Amazonia. Wow, that sounds very exciting. (laughs) I know, which is quite cool. It's where teams have to plot a journey to the diamond mines, mine some diamonds, and then get back to base camp in a certain time period. Now, before you get too excited, John, um, it is quite a fun game, but the pricing model on it is a little bit difficult. I have played it myself, but I have not played it with clients because it's got a um, an accreditation fee for facilitators and trainers in the thousands. I had to convert from dollars, so I can't tell you the exact amount, but it was roughly about 1,500 quid. Oh, God. So you have to be pretty keen on using it quite a lot um, if you were going to pay that, wouldn't you, John? Yeah, unless unless it was real diamonds you got at the end of it. It might make it worthwhile. But I'm presuming they're not. I'm presuming it's virtual. Yes, just virtual diamonds. It is quite interesting because you've got like weather forecasts, you know, and different events happening and you've got to decide on items to take with you and you've got to decide on the route to take dependent on the weather and things. There's quite a lot of decision making. So it's sort of, I suppose, a little bit like lost at sea and lost in the desert but lost in the jungle more you know but with a lot more than that layered into it and it is quite an exciting adventure i was going to say it sounds like some of those old adventure games yeah which was sort of big news when pcs first kicked off many many years ago it yeah. does sound like fun but yeah pricey fun definitely yeah pricey fun and um one that i'm really excited about coming i mean all of these people, Gaminar, RSVP, uh, MTA, I think they've all got plans to put other things on their platform. So I'm watching out all of the time. And as soon as new things come out, I'm doing free demos and stuff, just purely so I can get some practice. And I'm excited about that. But also Future Factory, I've got an exercise, uh, a real life exercise that I use quite a lot in face-to-face training, supply chain, and that is coming online on a on a different platform soon. So if people want to get an invite to your exclusive webinars where you test this stuff out, can they how how would how should they do that? Or those not exclusive webinars because anyone can come. <laughs> well, oh, they've got to be a facilitator or a trainer, that's it. I do post about um, all the demos on LinkedIn because that's probably the easiest way. Otherwise, people could email and ask to take part and ask to just get on the circulation list of getting a calendar invite now and again. It's worth doing because if you are someone like me who doesn't use these things very often, it is good for giving you exposure to these types of uh, activities gives you a bit of confidence to use them as well so I, th- I think it is worth trying to attend one of these events if you can one of Shirley's exclusive events <laughs> yeah. which are open to everybody <laughs> yeah well I always like to sort of play the game first you know then demo the game you know in a low-risk environment where nobody's paying like with my own team or with other trainers before I use it with a client and I'm sure you know most other facilitators will probably feel the same yeah absolutely when people are paying for it they want to be really slick don't they and they want to make sure they know how it works and they know what any of the problems might be and get those ironed out let's crack on with some some other ones because we've got six six things to get through here i know sorry they weren't going to be as long i promise okay well let's do a boring one then okay fairly quickly and then we'll do a medium Mm -hmm. one after that so do you want to do the sort of the technology one the one you said first Yeah, so I suppose it's just that one of the ways to make uh, virtual learning a bit more experiential is really to make the most of whatever platform you're on. Zoom, Teams, Adobe Connect, but just to use it, you know, to its maximum potential. Because I have been on quite a few bits of virtual learning where it has literally been someone putting some slides up, you know, and talking for the full 90 or minutes or two hours. So it's just to make sure, isn't it, that you're getting variety into your session. So, you know, you're using the breakout rooms, you're using the polls. If you're on Adobe Connect, there's all sorts you can do because you can like pre-plan lots of different classroom layouts, you know, and you can pre-plan what people will be able to see when they're in breakout rooms and what they'll bring back from breakout rooms to present. So I think it's just you know making sure that you've got enough variety in every session and 
I tend to sort of have a basic rule that every 90 minutes should have at least two breakouts, at least something physical, at least something to play with and probably something to solve. So it's just, yeah. Go on, John. <laughs> I was just going to say, so it's just make use of the technology as the breadth of functionality within the technology to, to turn up the variety as much yeah. as possible. Yeah. And I mean, it's only been really recent that you could even do breakout rooms, you know, on teams. But I think it's really crucial for trainers and facilitators to be absolutely up to the minute, you know, with the functionality of whatever tool they're using. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, and it's an easy an easy thing to miss as well. If you just kind of get overwhelmed and you just think, "Well, I'll just stick to what I know." Yeah. But yeah, it, it is a it is something that it's it, we have to be up to speed, as you say, and these things are evolving pretty quickly. You mentioned yeah. Adobe Connect as being the sort of Rolls Royce of these systems. Is that the one you'd recommend? I would if you can afford it. I mean, I probably use Zoom the most. I think the thing about Adobe Connect is. If you are going to do the same program several times, it would really be worth spending the time setting up Adobe Connect really well because you could have all your different layouts in advance. Loads of your planning and design could be in there and it makes the whole experience really slick. However, if you are just delivering something once, I think it's probably a lot of prep work, you know, sort of compared to the return. So then I might, you know, say maybe Zoom is probably enough. Okay. Certainly if you were doing like whole day sessions or multi-day sessions, then I think you need to go to the Rolls-Royce. Let's move on to the next one then. So we'll go, we'll go for one that was kind of mediumly interesting. A mediumly interesting. Lego or movement? Let's do movement first because Lego to me sounds a bit more interesting. So let's keep okay. people waiting so that they carry on listening for a bit longer. The movement just is, I suppose, the bit that one of the things that's the most important in experiential learning is the physical side of things, you know, getting people moving, getting people rearranging themselves and all of that. And you, you can't do a lot of that online. So I suppose it's just to try and use it the maximum that you possibly can. So getting people to respond to questions physically, for example, you know, put your fingers up to show something or your arms up or pull a face to show something, you know, as opposed to always just using the chat function and things like that that are less interesting what you can also do there's lots of games you can do um you know like passing objects from screen to screen that are a, a slight bit of movement that i'm sure um people will have seen and done i also love i like a bit of scaling you know like quite often as trainers and facilitators we ask people things you know on a scale of zero to ten i don't know how good a coach do you think you are for example and i quite like often setting up scaling so i get people to come really close to the computer to represent 10 or go really far away from the computer to represent zero things like that or have little little walks within their office or home if it's possible I also do like sending people out on a walk and reflect, you know, getting them to go outside in a five minute break and think about something and then bring their thoughts back to share with somebody else. Ideally, sort of getting out in nature. And probably my favourite thing for getting people up and moving is the good old scavenger hunt. You know, go and find something, go and find an object to represent this or that or go and find, um, you know, your predominant insights colour, let's say, if that's what your programme is about. So just finding all the ways that you possibly can to get people a tiny bit physically involved. Just just a warning on that as well is I think you need to warn people in advance that they will be on camera because I think a lot of people have got quite comfortable with not being on camera and therefore aren't necessarily ready for it. So if you are going to do that, you need to make sure that people are aware that that's going to be an option. I think there is a danger that people could sometimes think you're a little bit crazy. So it is important that, you know, you've got rapport with your group <laughs> before you yeah. ask things like that. But linked to that on the camera thing, you know, all of my programs have everybody on camera, 
you know, because they're all interactive, you know, in small groups. And I know it's a bit different, isn't it, when someone's sort of doing a webinar and they've got 250 people watching. I think everybody knows that if they're on a session with me, it is going to be interactive and they're definitely going to have their camera on. Yeah, and I also, I mean, as as you said, there's a, there's a certain amount of kind of nervousness perhaps about making people move because it isn't the norm for an online meeting. But I don't think there's anything wrong with us being quite open and honest and say, I want to get you moving because that helps and, and not trying to disguise it and pretend it's something that it isn't. Yeah. I mean, obviously, what we haven't talked about on that is you could get people to do little exercises or whatever. And I that I have done that. But I personally tend to stick to things that sort of can be made part of the program, if you see what I mean, part of the actual yeah. focus of as opposed to we all know it's bad for us to be at the screen so let's all stand up do you know what I mean and do these exercises for the sake of an exercise if you see what I mean yeah that's what I was meaning as well earlier I think it has to link in to what you're doing and not just be some sort of wacky zany out there thing that might make people feel a bit uncomfortable yeah but there's lots of really good ideas there I'm wrecking my brains to see if I can add but it's 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 quite late on my birthday Shirley said you won't get much sense out of me I'm afraid what should we do next then? I'm just thinking because we've got we've got a boring one, a quite interesting one, and a very interesting one. So how about we do the other quite interesting one, and then quickly get through the boring one, and then end on the fascinating okay. one. So I think the one that you think is quite quite or a bit more interesting than I do is Lego and Lego Serious Play. So one of the first things uh, that I did. I was saying one of the first things I did. Okay, not that long after lockdown, I decided to train as a Lego Serious Play facilitator. And I suppose that was mainly for sort of working in the room, um, especially with people who are working on business strategy and stuff. Because uh, the thing about Lego Serious Play, it's quite cool. Basically, you get people to make individual models in response to a question and then you get people to explain those models and then you might go on to create like a group model um, as well when you're face to face although some people even do that online however the reason I got a bit excited about it is it's one of those things that can work nearly as well virtually as it can face to face and it's also giving people that are sick of being on the computer you know something to do with their hands which is really good. So as well as doing some Lego series play, as it were, that is like following this, the Lego series play system, which is open source materials, by the way. So I'll give you a link to where people can find out online, you know, how that whole method works. So we haven't got time to go into it massively. But not just that, but what I've found is that just Lego in general, just doing bits with Lego linked to your learning and linked to your course is just a really good, you know, an easy way of getting people doing something a little bit experiential while they're online. So I've been doing all sorts of things. Yeah, I think I think I need an example. Yeah, I'm about to give you a few. So I've been doing lots of exercises where people use a few pieces of Lego to represent, say, themselves in an introduction or... They hang, on, use hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. How, how could you do that? Well, there's different ways you can do it. You can, so send people some Lego. There's all sorts of different sizes of packs and stuff that you can buy. And you can do things like pick four pieces of Lego that represent you, build them together and then explain the significance of these four bits. Or you might do, you might send people, you know, those little Lego figures that come in little packets and you just build a figure together. You might just ask people to, everyone builds their figure, which just came in a packet and that's their avatar for the day. And they have to show that figure and they have to tell people how it's like them and how it's not like them. And that can kind of extend to other people in the team and things. But then there's so much, so many little bits and pieces you can do with Lego. You know, like if you're working with insights, you can send out a red piece, a blue piece, a yellow piece, a green piece and get them to build a little model which shows the order of their personal preferences. Um, and keep it on their desk you can give them little challenges like here's six bricks everybody work with those six bricks and see how many you can get hanging off the edge of your desk you know a little problem solving competition uh, you can do exercises about 
how people tend to get attached to their first idea uh, on a creativity workshop you can do things so for example where they've got like six bits of lego and they've got to build them into a duck show their duck and then you tell them that they need to break that duck up and make a different duck and they don't want to <laughs> that's quite interesting so there's just Honestly, it is unlimited and you can do so many things with a really quite small amount of Lego. So, yeah, I've been pretty addicted to it. And I'd have to say that about 80% of my virtual course participants in the last few months, ever since July anyway, have been treated to a pack of Lego. So you physically send the actual toy, a packet of some of the regular Lego bricks to people's houses before the event? I do indeed, yes. The alternative is, I suppose, with enough preparation, you could go and ask them to grab a few bricks, obviously. Well, if they had them, yeah. A lot of people won't. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I prefer to just send them out so that they've all got the same stuff. Bit of, bit of a Lego fan, could talk about Lego all day. Well, I, I'm still not entirely convinced I would know where to start with that. So it, it might be worth... I don't know if it's worth talking more about it now or whether it's worth talking in a different podcast. I don't know. I mean, about using Lego because, I, to, to be honest, I, I kind of I can see maybe with insights, here's you know, it's basically representing a color. It's like a, a sort of two three second job to put those in order, but to use it more creatively, as you've been describing, I, I don't. I wouldn't know where to start. Interestingly, so one I could definitely we could do a whole podcast about lego definitely but just to mention i've done a couple of 90 minute sessions introductions to lego as part of different regional events so you know that i've got or i run like the yorkshire trainers development network which is just yeah. like you know non-profit let's get a load of trainers together and share ideas uh, kind of thing so i run that and i've done like a 90 minute session for them on lego and before that i did a session for oh the lovely lovely nikki that runs Saltbox, and she's got like a trainers exchange down in haven't actually been physically devon or dorset anyway she's absolutely lovely and she i've, I've run a 90 minute session for them and I, i'm going to do one i think for the midlands brain friendly learning group as well and because it's online anybody you know can really come to those so there are some little intros you could go to also there is there's a lady called nikki forster who runs a company called lighthouse something and she's got an online course all about using lego in training and i've done that course and it was absolutely excellent really well put together it almost inspired me to make my own sort of on-demand online learning program but i haven't actually done that because i'm too busy you know doing like live sessions so i still haven't but that's really really good and i recommend it okay so it's something that we could we could have we could talk about another time or even talk to nikki uh, Nikki Forster that you mentioned there another time and uh, really delve deeper into this because I feel we've only skimmed the surface of how we might use a toy like Lego in a in a kind of more in a serious learning environment. We're going to move on to your last boring one. Boring now. <laughs> Virtual collaboration tools. Yeah, it's not that boring. It's just that I feel that lots of other people are talking about virtual collaboration tools and I am you know making use on my virtual sessions of Padlet is one of my favorites Jamboard I really like and Mural I really like probably the ones that I'm using the most I know Myro is really popular as well but I haven't used it and the kind of things that I'm doing on there generally are the sort of typical brainstorming on post-its thing but I'm also doing things like instead of presenting a model for example you know by showing it on powerpoint and talking about it i'm breaking a model down into bits and sticking it on one of those tools and then send getting a team there a breakout room or whatever to go and try and organize that model while they're talking you know try and put that model together just so that people are engaging with you know the the session content the models rather than just being presented with them so I think that's important, you know, to look at other uses 
of these collaboration tools, you know, sort of over and above just kind of brainstorming. And my friend, Tim Yanish, who is um, a consultant for a a big consultancy, um, Q5 in London, one of the things that he did really on in, in my sort of quest to find good experiential virtual exercises is he got, um, you know, the exercise called Team Square that Metalog have got, which is sort of a set of um, squares that are all divided kind of into different shapes. And normally you like chuck them on a table and everybody's got to kind of make a square in silence, you know, and they're all working together. Well, my friend Tim, he used Mural and he recreated all the shapes that are in Team Squared and created like a table on there and everything and sort of made that experiential exercise on Mural, which was really, really clever and really showed me, you know, some of the capabilities of Mural. So there's a lot more you can do, you know, than just just the kind of post-its thing. Um, We also on mural you can do polls and things like that and we also tim put on there some blob trees do you know about do you know blob trees john uh (laughs) i'm not sure i i do actually i might do i just maybe don't recognize the language there's all sorts of blob charts and blob trees i might even be using the wrong word here where You've got like a pictorial example. So the tree is like, you've got this massive tree with branches on everything. You've got all these little people dotted all over the tree that are all doing different things and pulling different faces. And you can use that as part of a review tool, you know, where people choose a person on the tree that represents, you know, their experience of something or how they feel about something and then describe it to everybody else. No, I don't know what that is. That's a blob tree. Yeah. I've never heard of it. While we're doing that, just still on the same, you know, not that interesting to me because it's technology and technology is not really my thing. But another thing that I have done to get uh, sessions more experiential is incorporate people's phones into the session as well. So as well as, you know, you're on Zoom or Teams, as well as you might be using Padlet or Jamboard, you can also incorporate the phones a little bit. Sometimes, you know, doing things through WhatsApp. So for example, one of the games I was playing, people had to communicate, you know, how many, in this case, bottles of gas they wanted to get each month and they had to send texts. Um, via WhatsApp, but also I've used BrainSparker, which is a phone app uh, for creativity on creativity programs. And I've used Quizlet and Kahoot on phones for incorporating quizzes into virtual learning. So that's kind of my little quick and speedy roundup of some of the technology bits associated that can help you be a bit more experiential. So the main point is really just get to know these collaboration tools and be quite creative in thinking how you can use them. And yeah. not, not just go for that basic, let's just brainstorm using post-its, but actually think beyond that. Think a bit, think a bit deeper. Yeah. And it's so much about variety, isn't it? And changing it up a bit yeah. and keeping yeah. people curious and surprising people. And that's why, you know, if I've got a series of, which is quite common, isn't it, on management development programs and things, if I've got a series of lots of two-hour sessions, then each time I see that same group, I want to have one or two things that are totally different, you know, to, to what they've done before. So it'll be, you know, get your phone out and put a different app on it or use a different collaboration tool or do a different exercise or get your Lego out or whatever. So, so yeah. So that kind of does lead me in quite nicely, actually, to my, you know, this variety message, to my final section, which is all about making the best use of the postal service. Okay. So this is the last of the six. Yeah. We've saved to the end. So listeners still listening to this, you're now going to get this premium content of learning about the postal service (laughs) it is very very important to use the postal service i find in this virtual world because people need things to you know touch and taste and open and so yeah now there comes a big caveat with this that the postal service didn't seem to be working very well close to christmas but i think it's better now (laughs) people can use it again obviously people that 
are saying that we don't want to add to too many parcels being delivered. I completely understand the environmental worries. And to some extent, you can do some of this by sort of sending people, you know, via email or whatever, worksheets and challenges of things that they could like print out and cut up and all of that. But I just wanted to say that posting things has been a real core part of my practice in the last few months. So I've mentioned Lego. But I've also loved posting lots of other things. So a few examples are I've posted cap, cheap caps. <laughs> As in what you put on your head. As in what you put on your head. For doing six thinking hats exercises with teams. That's been really fun. I have sent dice. So they've got exercises that, for example, are throw the dice and answer the question, you know, that goes with that number or whatever. I have sent actual challenges through the post. So, for example, there are these uh, little metalock things called loony loops that are like little bits of metal with a string on and you put them through your buttonhole on your shirt or on your jeans or wherever else you're at home. So it doesn't matter what where your buttonhole is and you have to work out how to get them off. So that's a little challenge for people. And there's also another little small activity called Philosopher's Stone, where you've got sort of a red piece of plastic about, I don't know, half of an A5 size. And it's got holes in it, a triangle shaped hole, a square shaped hole and circular hole. And you get people to get a knife and a potato. (laughs) It's just an example, but it's like a particular creativity exercise. A knife and a potato... And what they have to do is work out the largest and heaviest piece of potato they can create that will fit through all three holes. So good introduction to creativity, but just another example of the kind of thing that I've sent through the post. And then a little bit more straightforward, I suppose, I've sent a lot of cards through the post, both sets of cards, you know, like values cards or strengths cards or things like that so that everybody's got a set. And I've also... oh with those as well I was doing some like creative problem solving stuff and I sent scamper cards different cards to sort of different people in the team that was quite good so basically we'd look at different circumstances and instances and they give examples from the different cards that they've got of what would work best in that situation and I also have sent a lot of not professional cards but cards that I've just made and laminated so they might be pieces of a model you know a model in bits sort of in an envelope and they basically need to tip that out on their desk and manoeuvre it on the desk and create the model that we're looking at. And I've sent picture cards as well. Martin Galpin's strengths cards are really good for that because they're just the size of a normal pack of cards. But on one side, they've got like positive words. And on the other side, they've got loads of really great pictures. So they're really good. And you can get them to arrange stuff on their table or hold a picture up to the camera and stuff. And I don't know why, but it's just slightly more fun to have a picture in your hand than it is to just look at a picture on your screen. Well, it's just so. more obviously it's more tangible, isn't it? Because you can actually yeah. hold stuff and, you know, humans are very tangible. We need, we use our fingers. We do look with our fingers. We engage with the world with our fingers a lot. So needing yeah. t- touching stuff is really important. And there is something quite quite sort of childishly thrilling, I suppose, about receiving a parcel or receiving a letter as well. It is it does make it more fun and it does make it all feel a lot more substantial as well i guess as an experience or as a product if you if somebody's bothered to send you something through the post it does feel like a bigger deal the whole thing yeah definitely and i think one of the things that i love doing sort of connected to that is the parcel that i send people i quite like it to have lots of different envelopes and things in you know and some instructions about do not open this until and then as part of the session you can be like right everybody find you know envelope six or whatever so they're like building that intrigue yeah and I think this this sort of started for me where I really went to town on it when I had to do my first hybrid workshops you know where I was working like in Milton Keynes and some of the team members were based in America but they couldn't come across even though the team could get together physically because of flight restrictions and so it's quite hard, isn't it, doing a hybrid workshop where some people are physically there, but other people yeah. are actually on Zoom from nine to five. You know, it's it's a lot, isn't it? 
Yeah. And so, so to get those people involved, I felt like it was really important, you know, to have lots and lots of different physical things for them to open so that they really felt more part of it. It takes a lot of prior, prior planning because when I was doing that, I was using exercises, you know, like, say, for example, colorblind, where everybody has got these different shapes and they had them physically in real life. And what I was doing was actually sending, you know, some of those shapes out to people so that they could touch and feel and be as much part of it as everybody else. I mean, it's a really interesting point, this one, because a lot of the time when we approach virtual learning, we kind of think about how to get rid of the physical side and what mm. can we do instead. But you're not doing that. You're actually just saying, no, I'm, I'm going to make the effort. And it is an effort. It's a fair amount of effort yeah. to actually yeah. give people a physical thing, a tangible thing, and actually obviously actually send it to them, which has a, a cost implication as well as an effort implication. But it... it your point here is that it's really worth doing if you can if you can find the right things to send it's really worth doing it is really worth doing and I think one of the things that kind of got me more going to town on it was the fact that after the first lockdown when we could start getting together with people face to face but we had to be um, mindful you know of people not catching covid um one of the things that we were trying to do is not have people you know touching the same things that other people are touching too often because obviously that means hand sanitization um again so one of the things that we were doing is getting you know those big like plastic wallets like bigger than a4 and in preparation for a physical face-to-face -face courses we were putting in there you know, like a week before the course, sort of handouts, sort of things like, you know, everything they'd need. So the things I've been talking about, Legos, cards, hats, dice, you know, little challenges. We'd be putting all of those in there. And also things that I would normally use face-to-face, -face, um, like little squashy penguins to divide people into groups or giant playing cards to divide people into groups. I was putting all of those into individual sort of plastic pockets you know, so that each person can have those handed out. And I think it was doing that and spending loads of time on that that made me think, oh, if I can do that for face to face, why don't I just send someone all of these things in a packet and we can do it online? Yeah, I think it's it's a really in interesting point. It's almost so simple. Just send somebody a physical thing. If you would give them it in the training room, if you're doing physical training, then uh, send them it or, or or even look exactly. for opportunities to send people things that you might not otherwise, because you're still trying to increase the engagement, because you have to work harder to increase the engagement in, in the virtual environment. Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely works brilliantly. The, the problem with it is, I suppose, having to be organised so much further in advance, yeah. because you need to think through all the things you need, don't you? You need to get them all and you need to get them in the post, I, you know, a good couple of weeks before you're running the session. But if you can get into the habit, you know, and set yourself those earlier deadlines for your training design, then I really think it's well worth it. Well, thank you very much for that idea. And, and indeed, the other five, even if some of them were a bit boring, they're still already, <laughs> they're still already <laughs> useful and uh, a good time to reminder. So thanks very much for that. And thanks for your time today, uh, Shirley. It's really nice to speak to you again. Thank you. Uh, my, can, I, can my closing comment be that it's all about variety <laughs> and changing it up and working really hard on your design? <laughs> yeah.